Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. So imagine it's election day. Maybe you're getting ready to vote in person, and then you get a fake phone call that says your polling location has changed. Robocalls and deep fakes are some of the ways artificial intelligence can create confusion during an election year. And now some are calling on the California state legislature to regulate this technology. Today, we're bringing you an episode from our colleagues at the Political Breakdown podcast. KQED's Scott Schaefer speaks to Jonathan Meta Stein, head of Common Cause, which is leading efforts to regulate AI. Stay with us. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And as we enter this critical election year, we're going to be paying a lot of attention here on the podcast to threats to our democracy and specifically threats to election integrity. And to help us understand the threats posed by things like artificial intelligence or AI and what California and the nation need to do urgently, we've invited someone who's been thinking a lot about this and whose organization is proposing some solutions Jonathan Metastein is executive director of California Common Cause. They just launched a new project called the California Initiative for Technology and Democracy, cited for short. Jonathan, welcome to Political Breakdown. Thanks for having me. Well, let me begin with that uh, initiative. Um, Tell us a little bit about it. First of all, is it a nonprofit organization and what is it going to be doing? Right now, it's a project of California Common Cause, which has worked on voting rights, redistricting, money and politics, a full suite of democracy issues for many, many years. And we just realized that working on a full suite of democracy issues in this digital era would be incomplete if we weren't tackling the threats posed to our democracy by AI, disinformation, deep fakes, and so forth. So we are uh, beginning a critical election year, and it will probably be the first AI election. What I mean by that is that generative AI deepfakes, uh, fake audio, fake video, fake images, fake text will be inundating our information ecosystem. We're already seeing some of this. Um, We've seen disinformation in the past, certainly. That's not new. Uh, But what we're seeing now is disinformation turbocharged by new technological tools that allow 
anybody, foreign states, non-state actors, online trolls, campaigns themselves, to put out incredibly convincing content meant to deceive voters or destabilize elections. And we've already seen it. The Slovakian presidential election was impacted by deepfakes. The Bangladeshi uh, presidential election impacted by deepfakes. We're beginning to see it in some elections in uh, in the United States. There's a DeSantis campaign ad in the Republican primary with a fake photo, a deepfake photo of Trump hugging Fauci. There's other examples from within the United States. And the American public is just not ready. Going back to those uh, foreign elections in those two countries you mentioned, uh, do you have a sense of who was behind that and why? I mean, do you? Th- I mean, because so as you were describing that, I'm thinking, oh, that's just like a little pilot project to kind of test it out somewhere where no one's paying attention before we bring it to the United States. So to give you an example, in the Slovakian presidential election, uh, shortly before election day, fake audio emerged of one of the two presidential candidates saying actually one very serious thing and one what we might think of as silly thing. The very serious thing was that they were attempting to rig the election. The silly thing was that he was planning on raising taxes on beer. But both clearly, you know, no matter, important to people. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and both clearly were meant to destabilize and to influence voters. The intent really, I think, is is there. It's a dry run in many respects for bigger elections occurring around the world this year and then ultimately November, the presidential count in America. So what you mentioned earlier, the deep fakes, this turbocharging of uh, misinformation, disinformation, uh, give us a like a, one or two concrete examples of how that might look. Right. So a, a deep fake targeting a candidate is relatively straightforward. We just mentioned examples of uh, the DeSantis campaign or this instance from Slovakia. You might think of, for example, a deep fake of Joe Biden falling down the stairs of Air Force One to make him look silly. That's, um, I, I guess, playful. That's a bad word for it. But there's much more dangerous stuff out there. So imagine a robocall in Joe Biden's voice going to millions of voters on the eve of election, telling them their voting locations have changed. Or Right. If we move on to move out of the realm of candidates and into things that can destabilize trust in elections, imagine a fake video of an elections official, quote unquote, caught on tape saying that their voting machines can be hacked or that vote by mail ballots are not secure. If you are a conspiracy theorist trying to attack the legitimacy of American elections, you can create confirmatory evidence, false but confirmatory evidence that everyone else will believe with a few clicks of a button. These things are really easy to produce in the modern era. The barriers to entry are really low and the costs are near zero. And so I want to come back to some of those specifics, but your the idea of this initiative is to do what? Work with lawmakers in Sacramento to come up with some guardrails, some regulations? Because this technology is so new, there is no well-developed policy field teaming with solutions and experts that can help policymakers move in this area. So CITED, the California Initiative for Technology and Democracy, is an attempt to bring together tech leaders, uh, finance, VC, law, public policy, communications, campaign folks, experts from a variety of fields to build an interdisciplinary hub of expertise that can advise lawmakers and regulators as they attempt to move. Why are we doing this in California? Because Congress isn't able to take meaningful action to protect our democracy in this moment. And so it turns to California to lead the country. We've done this before in the past. Look at data privacy, where our bill is now being recreated in other states. Look at automobile emissions, where our choices drove nationwide change. We can lead this issue in California. We just need Sacramento to build out its expertise. So you're talking about, yeah, creating this uh, like think tanky kind of thing to help advise uh, lawmakers. But, you know, you can easily imagine just take tech. 
different agendas? I mean, how are you going to get people to agree on what the regulation should be or even what the issues are? That's true in every major policy field, right? You're going to have a variety of stakeholders who are all going to have really strongly held views. We have to bring everybody into the process. This has to be a joint effort, including the tech companies, including the legislature, including civil society, including national experts who, frankly, don't have all that much going on at Congress right now and are really happy to help California figure out the way. Um, This is going to take a group and, as I really importantly, interdisciplinary effort in order to get this done right. You know, uh, yes, we are in the age of AI now, but, you know, the Obama campaign in 2008 was very uh, insightful and using cutting edge then at the time technology to reach voters using text messages and that sort of thing. Obviously, Donald Trump uh, used it in 2016. So are you just saying this is part of an evolution or are we in a whole new era? I would say we're in a whole new era. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is that that disinformation, those tech tools were really, really effective at helping people reach voters. Um, and that's that's actually a useful and positive function for AI going forward. I think there are good, absolutely positive uses of AI in this space, including helping elections officials find new efficiencies in election administration, helping under-resourced campaigns reach voters more effectively, um, helping GOTV efforts uh, uh, target uh, voters more effectively. So we don't want to disrupt any of that. But the ability to deceive voters and to destabilize our information ecosystems is a quantum leap from anything we have seen in past elections. And the real fear, Scott, is that people will begin to not know what images, audio, uh, uh, text that they can trust, and they retrench into tribalism. They say, I'm going to start believing everything that confirms my biases, and I'm going to reject as fake anything that challenges them. Yeah. And of course, we're living now in this media ecosystem where, uh, you know, maybe in the past, media organizations would debunk things right away. We can't really count on that uh, in this in this moment that we're in. Um, You say in this white paper that you recently published, Jonathan, that this problem that you're describing uh, with AI, et cetera, is really extremely, uh, most extreme, particularly extreme at the state level as opposed to the national level. Why do you say that? Right. So the white paper is called Democracy on Edge in the Digital Age, Protecting Democracy in California in the Era of AI-Powered Disinformation and Unregulated Social Media. Um, the reason why it's particularly extreme in California or in the state level is because at the federal level, we have a number of major institutions in civil society, nonprofits and think tanks and so forth, that have invested themselves in building this expertise over time. Uh, and at the state level, you have a emaciated uh, policymaking or regulatory infrastructure that can assist policymakers. Now, that may sound curious in California, where we have- Emaciated, that's like an interesting word. We have this enormous amount of tech expertise in California, right? The, 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 the tech companies that have driven so much innovation and so much productivity are located here the tools that are posing a threat to our democracy are in large part created here. And yet policymakers in Sacramento most often have to go to the tech industry's trade associations and its lobbyists when it has questions about regulating the tech industry. Uh, And too often the answer is that self-regulation will solve the problem. So what we need in California, and frankly, we need in every state, but California has the opportunity to lead, is beginning to build this interdisciplinary expertise that can provide unbiased expertise to lawmakers as they try to take positive action. Does that word unbiased 
trouble you at all because we all have biases, right? And, you know, I just wonder, uh, I mean, I don't know who's who's choosing the people that are going to be part of this. Maybe it's you. It's a great point. What we mean by unbiased is informed by the tech industry's business models and needs, but independent of industry and not beholden to any private stakeholders. But some of them will be from the industry, yeah? Absolutely. Part of our advisory councils include former and current tech executives who can advise us on how to get regulation right, but they're balanced by law school deans and civil rights experts and campaign professionals and a whole host of other folks that can create that interdisciplinary aspect we're looking for. What do you think we've learned from the regulation or lack of regulation or self-regulation of social media? You know, things like Facebook and Twitter that can be applied or need to be applied right now? It's such a great question. We are accustomed in this country to the idea that if you as an industry create products that are a danger in some way to us, as productive or helpful as they may be, they pose a danger to us in some way, the airline industry, the pharmaceutical industry, any uh, food uh, production, uh, makers of home electronics. They are accustomed to regulation, inspection, testing. They have to make sure that their products are good for people or at least won't harm them before they go to market. With tech, there is no similar expectation from the industry, from government, or from the public. It is time. I think it is clear. It is time for the era of totally unregulated tech to come to an end and for the industry, for government, and for civil society to work together to figure out the best way to use these tools. There is data upon data at this point showing, for example, teen mental health is being disastrously affected by social media platforms. No one is looking at those impacts and how to mitigate them before products are released. We have to look, we have to re-examine our assumptions in this area. You uh, you often hear, I've heard Governor Newsom say, well, we have to have regulations, but we don't want to stifle innovation. Uh, so how do you thread that needle? There's a lot of needles to thread in this particular case. We have to balance uh, the limitations of Section 230 at the federal level. We have to balance- What is that? Uh, Section 230 at the fe- is a federal law uh, says that it was a choice made in the 90s by Congress that says that tech platforms or social media platforms cannot be held accountable for what is posted on their platform. So if you run a blogging site and I put on your blogging site instructions on how to make a bomb, I would be the one held accountable, not you. You are just a platform. Okay. Well, what that means is you can't hold, uh, even in state law, you can't hold tech in the tech industry or social media platforms accountable for disinformation or hate or whatever the case may be. You encourage them to moderate that stuff or to fact check that stuff, but you can't hold them accountable. So that takes a whole set of tools um, off the table. The First Amendment requires us to respect free speech. Um, And then there's innovation. We really don't want to. I mean, Governor Newsom is right about that. We don't want to stifle uh, innovation. And there are ways, as I mentioned earlier, that AI can be used to actually make elections more effective or to make GOTV more effective. So we have to figure out how to walk through this very complicated obstacle course. And the white paper we released last week is actually providing that roadmap. We love to say California is, you know, as, as Newsom says, you know, this is we're the coming attractions for the rest of the country, right? We, nobody knows anything until we do it. But I'm wondering, are there things, and, and you do mention in the white paper, like I think Texas, uh, Michigan maybe, there are things happening in other states. And then there's the EU, the European Union, which is really much more aggressive on these kinds of things, not just on tech, but all kinds of consumer-related things. What are you learning? What is there to learn from there? EU, the EU is really where... 
everyone should be looking for the most thoughtful uh, policymaking in this area. They are years ahead of the United States. I can speak to what's going on in other states, but uh, by and large, what the states are looking at right now is a prohibition on political deepfakes, uh, usually targeting candidates because politicians are the ones passing these bills and they're most sensitive to deepfakes that target them. And so uh, what we're seeing coming out of the states is you can ban or you can label political deepfakes that target candidates within a certain amount of time before an election. The EU is doing something or attempting to do things that are considerably more sophisticated and considerably more robust. And one idea that they really like is uh, and will make part of the AI Act is requiring generative AI platforms to embed within their AI tools um, provenance markers, uh, which is sometimes called watermarking. The idea that if they create, let's say, a synthetic, that's a nicer way of saying fake video, um, the user who reads it or views it should be able to click on uh, an embedded link or something of that kind that shows them what AI tool created this. Well, confirm, first of all, that it's synthetic. Wouldn't it be better just to automatically have that pop up? Because you're asking people to, to take an extra step. Absolutely. Yes. So uh, there's a lot of ways that you can handle this. Um, one way that we're interested in is uh, creating the best possible watermarking. So you have this information about where a video was created, who created, what tools were used in creating it, um, available to the viewer immediately. But there are concerns about visible watermarks, putting something on the, the surface of an image or a video um, because they can be photoshopped off, but then even more worryingly, they can be photoshopped on to real content mm -hmm. and then uh, sow a suspicion about a real video or a real image. And so what we're interested in is um, imperceptible embedded metadata in a generative AI content and then using that watermark uh, require social media companies to flag for their users posts that include an image or, or video or text that has, as they know, because of the watermark, they know has been synthetically created or uh, it's inauthentic or fake. Jonathan, uh, so much of what you're saying and what you've written in this white paper is terrifying, basically. Uh, and I'm wondering what gives you hope or what, would, what which should give us hope? This problem has existed for many, many years. Uh, social media has been largely unregulated. It has been, I think, declining in terms of the quality of democratic discourse in those spaces. Uh, we're seeing more and more evidence that it's impacting our well-being and our mental health, particularly among teens and teen girls. We are finally at a moment where there is a critical mass of uh, and, and critical interest in taking action. So we have an opportunity. That's what gives me hope. We have an opportunity to take action for the very first time. And, you know, here we are. It's January 2024. We have a primary in March, a big election in November. Is it possible but also necessary to get some of this done by then, before then? Yes and yes. And one of the things that aids us is the fact that the public is wildly in support of taking action. So there was a poll from the Berkeley um, Institute. IGS, yep. yep. From IGS in November that showed that 84% of Californians indicate that they are concerned about the problem, about, about the impact AI and disinformation may have on this year's elections. Um, and that includes over three-fourths of every possible group, men and women, all regions, all races, all ages, and importantly, all political parties. And a similarly enormous majority of Californians think it is the responsibility, that's a quote, the responsibility of state government 
to take action to fight back these threats. You don't see unanimity like that on any issue in America today. We have the public behind us. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for flagging all of this and working on it. And I think we all, based on your poll results, we all, or three quarters of us anyway, really hope you're successful this year. And, you know, the sooner the better. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Jonathan Metastein from California Common Cause. Thanks, Scott. That was Scott Schaefer, host of KQED's Political Breakdown podcast, which is now daily, by the way, speaking to Jonathan Meta Stein with Common Cause. This episode was engineered by Jim Bennett and produced by Juan Carlos Lara and Izzy Bloom. And I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks for listening. Talk to you Wednesday. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair, available wherever you get your podcasts.